0: Make sure you
1: are living your life based on God's agenda for you and not the opinions and expectations of others. And when you're doing it based on God's agenda for you, there will be times that you please others because guess what? It pleases Him. He's calling you to say yes to that. There will be times that you are serving and that you are helping because that's what we are called to do as Christians. But you'll be doing it because He's calling the shots,
0: not other people. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. I have some questions for you. So are you ever overwhelmed by others' expectations of you? Do you ever feel torn in a million different directions as you try to make everybody around you happy? Would you like to live with less overwhelm and more peace and purpose? Well, if you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. And helping me explore this topic is my friend, Karen Eman. She's a speaker, a New York Times bestselling author, and a recovering people pleaser. Welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast, Karen. Hey, Jill. Thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. It's always good to chat with you. And you and I could chat about just about any topic, but I am excited about this one. (laughs) You know, um, the first time we talked... It was, uh, about a year ago, um, episode 17, and it was titled how to reach out to those around you. And we were talking about hospitality and I've included the link to that episode in the show notes, but a lot has happened in your life since you and I talked. So can you just give us a little bit of an update of what's been happening in your world? Yeah, it's like, uh, can you say emotional roller coaster?
1: <laughs> I've had nice. in the last, well, even in like the last just over two years, I've had a son get married, which was yay on the roller coaster. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we moved to a new house, another yay, we moved to a new town. My father passed away. There's the low, you know? And then to make a long story short, I've had several, eight people close to me in my extended family and one close friend. Pass away, including my mom, my dad, and my stepmom, oh, all in a little so over nice. two years. And also, my other child, my daughter, got married. So we had two weddings. And now I found out I'm going to be a grandma for the first time. Mm. So, you know, I was thinking back, Joe, before you and I talked today that remember in high school when you had like psychology or sociology class and that you would take that little test that had you rank the different um, major stressors in your life. Sometimes they could be yes. happy things and sometimes they could be sad things like a death. Like if I would add up my points, I think the chart would blow up because I not <laughs> only had all these deaths, but I've had like a major move. And then I've had, you know, becoming a grandma and two people getting married in our family, two children. I just had so much both negative and positive stress that it's just yeah. sometimes it's just, I don't even want to get out of bed.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. It is a lot. Well, and even your daughter's wedding happened right at the beginning of COVID and you weren't able to be yeah. there. Yeah. It was supposed okay, to be that's a, way yeah. more stress. Yeah. It was supposed to be a, a
1: family and close friends only surprise wedding in Spain. Like we all knew it, it wasn't an elopement. Um, but it was just like, we were going to do a destination wedding in Spain and then COVID hit. And so we ended up throwing together a wedding in eight hours instead, the week before we were supposed to go to Spain because the, the flights had just shut down and we're like, okay, well, we're not going to Spain. What are we going to do? And so I, um, my friend Lisa had just, had a bible study that she filmed in her backyard in this beautiful setting she's like why don't we just do it under that archway in my backyard so it all got thrown together quickly but we weren't able to be there because we threw it together in eight hours and we were an 11-hour drive from her so we all watched it on zoom which was kind of fun because then there were like 60 people at the wedding instead of like 14 they were supposed to be but yeah that was another stressor so yeah it's this these last couple years have just been
0: just it's crazy intense Right, right. And then if you add people pleasing into the mix of all of that stress, you get more stress. Yes. You get a lot more stress. And so that's that's really what I want to explore with you today. Because what I find is that uh, I know for those of us that write nonfiction books, it usually comes out of our own journey. And so, so Karen, I'm, I'm guessing that that's exactly what has happened with you here. So tell us ultimately your new book is titled when making others happy is making you miserable. So tell us about the journey that you have been on that got you to the point where you wrote this book. Well, you are very
1: insightful because it was the beginning of all of these major deaths and moves and stress that really triggered me getting out of the prison of people pleasing. But up until then, so I got to start up until then, I've been a people pleaser my whole life in elementary school, I wanted to please my teachers. I wanted to get good grades. I wanted all the kids on the playground to like me. And as I grew up and became a teenager and an adult, it only got worse. And for decades, I have struggled with living my life based on the opinions and expectations of other people. And it just kind of became a pattern I fell into. And when the beginning of all of these major life events in the last two, two and a half years started to happen is when I, Hit the wall. My mm. dad had just passed away. We had just moved to a new town to be closer to my dad and my stepmom and my mom so we could help them. And 19 days after we moved, my dad fell, went in the hospital, never came home. And so I was adjusting to this new town, this new home, the the death of my dad, but I was still keeping up my people-pleasing ways. And I just one day got a very simple call from my best friend from uh, college. She wanted Mm -hmm. to to see um, if her son, who was going to be doing an internship in a town near us, once in a while could stay overnight at our house because he had an hour and a half commute to work and some nights he was going to have to close up at like 10 o'clock, but be back at eight the next morning. And she's like, can he sure. just hang out with you? And normally I'd go, no problem. The kid's like another kid of mine, you know, no problem. But I, it was one of those times, and I'm sure you and your listeners have had this where like my brain was saying, say no, say no, say no. But my mouth went, sure. You know? uh-huh. And I remember so vividly, I grabbed a box of tissues and my phone right after I hung up from her call and I walked out to the back of our property. We have this little fire pit out there. And I usually love going out there, reading my Bible Mm -hmm. or sitting and whatever. But I just bawled my eyes out. And I thought, I am trapped in a prison of people pleasing. And I don't know how to get out. I just don't know Mm -hmm. how to get out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was that that started me on this journey. I did some some pretty specific things that were kind of um, very out of character for me but i really needed like a clean break and to start over because i was trapped because for years i fell into this pattern and everybody knew it so they took advantage of it but mm. i just couldn't handle it with all the other stress i had going on i just i couldn't do it anymore
0: right so you said you did some things that were out of character for you or are you talking about you kind of put some boundaries up is that what you're referring to that you you drew some some very thick lines Yes. So what happened was after
1: about three days of me, you know, just stressing about this, yes, I'd said, and knowing I needed to do something. And in those three days, I started having some physical manifestations of stress. I. Couldn't stop my brain from racing. I couldn't fall asleep at night. I'd wake up several times during the night and my left eye, which was the most annoying, was twitching and it wouldn't stop twitching. I knew I had to do something. And so I just, I talked to my husband, Todd, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I felt God calling me to a season. For me, it was a summer, but a season of what I call necessary and no. I clearly felt I'm supposed to, for the next three months, do only what is necessary for my mm-hmm. home, my family, and my job, my ministry, mm-hmm. and say no to everything else, even drop out of everything else. And I know this probably sounds harsh, because I was saying I was going to drop out of and say no to even simple things like making cookies for the toddlers at church. Now, that might sound kind of harsh. What's the big deal with that? But you know what I figured out, Jill, I had been making cookies for the toddlers at church for almost 30 years. I mean, I would mm-hmm. started doing it right when I became a Christian um, as a teenager. And then, you know, did it when I got out of college and I was at a church, tr- I'd been doing it for forever. I never said no. Right. And so I I knew I had to make some phone calls. I had to tell some people, I know I said I would do this, but I'm for the next three months I can't. So I'll try to help you find someone else. I gave them a couple weeks' notice. I didn't just drop out right away. And I'd love to say that everybody was great with it. Um, most people were. They were a little disappointed, but they're like, Oh, I understand, that's fine. You know, I'll hit you back up in the fall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and some people a few people were not happy at all. And Ooh. when I, um, you know, they were a little irritated that mm-hmm. now I wasn't going to run in and rescue them and do their thing for them. And when they came back to me later after these three months of necessary and no, and asked me to do stuff. And I said, no, I kind of feel like it's not really, you know, what I want to do anymore. Like I never heard from them again. Like I realized they were only my friend because what I would do for them. Mm. But my best friend from college, she was like Jesus to me. She just was so gracious and said, you know what? It's fine. We'll figure something out. I care more about your mental health and what's going on in your life right now. And I'm going to be calling you once a week to check in on you. She was so gracious, but I'm telling you, Jill, it was so hard. Like those first two weeks, I'm like, I can't let these people down. I can't. And then You know, my husband's very different from me. He's not a people-pleaser. And he's like, okay, I hate to break this to you. But if you were suddenly to join your dad and move your address to heaven and pass away from this earth, I think they'd find someone to make the toddler cookies. I, you know, I don't don't think you're that irreplaceable. But, you know, I just didn't want to disappoint people or upset them. You know, I just had done it for so long. It felt very strange for two weeks. Then it felt wonderful for the rest of those three months. And when I was done, I started to put back on my plate, only those things I truly enjoyed, or I truly felt God was calling me to do not just someone else was expecting me to do. It was so pivotal for me, Jill. So pivotal.
0: Yes. Yes. And you know, one of the things that I was just thinking about, you were just talking about the cookies for the toddlers and you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. And, you know, in and of itself, is it is isn't, but it's all the accumulated yeses that it's it, i think that's the problem when we're, when we're people pleasers is um it's one yes on top of another yes on top of another yes on top of another one and it's it's that accumulation that then becomes more than what we should carry yes
1: you're exactly right and beyond that i don't know if you're like me but it's also just the brain space it takes up thinking about yes. oh oh and i need to make cookies on Saturday for church. Because I like to, you know, get things done, get them done now. Well, some things you can't do until right before the event. And those were the things that stressed me out the most, Were those things that I'd said yes to, but I couldn't do them ahead of time. You know, I couldn't. So if somebody said, hey, will you help me address uh, envelopes or something? And I'm like, sure, can I do it this weekend? Because I have time this weekend. Those kind of things didn't stress me out. It was, will you, you know, bring fresh cut up fruit to the whatever? And I'm like, but I can't do that today. <laughs> so I'm going to have to wait and do it at the last minute. Right. And just the brain space it took of thinking about all these different small commitments. You're exactly right. These little yeses on top of yeses on top of yeses were taking up space in my brain and making me think again, Oh, I've got all this stuff to do instead of, you know, having my brain be kind of cleared of those things. It, it, was a lot of small things because there were some big things I was doing, but for the most part, I saved my big things for my work, my ministry. But there were just a lot of little things that I'd said yes to that were kind of pecking away at me.
0: Yes. Well, and part of that is, I mean, you want to say that, yes, like you love hospitality. You love reaching out to others. I mean, that's what the last podcast episode was that you and I talked uh, about. And so, how do you find the balance between loving to do that, but not people pleasing, Karen? Yeah. What have you learned? Again, very insightful because you know what it is it is a
1: strength carried to an extreme. That's now not a strength. Like we don't say weakness in our house. We say it's a non-strength. And especially for Christians, I mean, we want to love and serve and put other people first. Those are all great strengths, but when they get carried to an extreme, and it's not that we are doing them because we feel God is calling us to, but we're doing them because we're expected to, now it's all out of whack. So we start to over you know, and we, you know, start to help too much and we start to... Give all of our time to everyone else who needs our help, not realizing that's not helping us at all. It's actually causing us problems. So for me, I had to really pare it back and, you know, start each day. I pray this each day now, like, Lord, I know today I'm going to get asked to do things. There's going to be a lot of asks that come my way. Help me to know when it's you, like tap me on the heart when it's you calling me to do something, providing an opportunity for me to serve. And Mm -hmm. when it's me just feeling like I have to say yes, because I want that person to like me. And so as much as that sounds like a Sunday school answer, it starts with prayer. It really does. And I've had to learn when presented with an opportunity, not to ask myself, what do they want me to say? What do they want me to do? But to just honestly stop and pray, Lord, is this one for me? And if it's not, if it's not, then I switch my prayer to, now help me to speak the truth here, because... I, I don't want to open my mouth and have a yes roll out when everything within me is screaming no. Um, and I found mm-hmm. the best way really to do that is just to be honest about some of the things that are rolling around in my head. Because what I tended to do, well, I think what people tend to do is they either just bark out the truth and say, nope, can't help you. I didn't tend to do that. I went the other extreme and I would try to say no, but I would over explain and guess yes. all the different reasons why this is why I can't say yes. And I'm just explaining, explaining, explaining. And not only is my mouth kind of tumbling down the stairs because I'm giving all these explanations, but then that just gave them, you know, targets to shoot at. They're like shooting down my, my my excuses and saying, oh, well, you can't do it this week. Well, you can do it next week then, you know? So I learned instead to just out loud say things like, okay, I just have to be honest right now. Everything within me wants to say yes, because I love you, Jill. You're my friend. And I want mm-hmm. us to still be friends. I don't want there to be awkwardness in our friendship, but I'm telling you, I just don't have the bandwidth for it right now. So as much as it pains me to say no, I'm going to have to say no, but I, I hesitate too. Cause
0: I hope we're still okay. If I say no, mm-hmm. like,
1: why can't we just say that out loud?
0: Yes, Why can't we just say yes, that out loud? Exactly. In fact, you know, Karen, during this time, and I can't even remember what they are, but you told me that at least twice during this time. Really? Yeah, okay. you did. And it was, I was fine with it. I I appreciated your honesty. I don't remember what I was doing. I think I might've asked you for an endorsement for a book or I might've asked, I don't remember what it was, but you did that a couple of times and the honesty is so I know for me, it was appreciated. I mean, was I disappointed? Of course I was disappointed because I love you and I love, you know, doing things with you, but, um, I appreciated your honesty. So I, I agree with you. I think we need to just be more honest about that. Um, and the whole bandwidth thing, it's a great, that's just some great language that people understand, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Yeah, well, and, and what you just said is proof of something that I learned during this journey. And it's this, that you can still say yes to a friendship, but say no to a request from a friend. Because I used to Ooh. never think that was true. I thought, well, if I want to still be friends with them, I have to always say yes. But you know, you and I are still friends. We're not ticked right. off at each other. We're still, I mean, we've been I hate to think, let's see, Mitchell's going to be 27. <laughs> we've almost been friends for 27 years because Jill and I became friends the day my son was born, right when That's I was on right. the phone with her and my water broke. Um, but <laughs> we have, we you know, we've logged a lot of life together. Yeah. And yet when I say no to you, you don't suddenly act awkward toward me. You don't suddenly disappear from the landscape of friends in my life. And I learned that, that you can say no to a friend, but still say yes to the friendship.
0: Mm-hmm. You, can, you yes. can still,
1: you can, you can say, Hey, it's, I'm not your girl, but let me brainstorm with you about who else you could ask. Or you can say, Hey, this isn't for me, but I'll certainly be praying about who is supposed to do this. Let me know how it goes. You can check in with them later. See how the project's going. You can send them a card in the mail saying, I'm so glad you're a safe place for me to say, there's so many ways to say yes to a friendship, but say, mm, no, I don't think that that task is for me.
0: Yeah. Yep. You know, one of the things I often say to myself is, um, and I heard it years ago, I can't even remember where I heard it from, um, but I'm capable, but am I called? Yes. You know what? I wrote that in the book. You know who said it? Who said it? Oh, I got to remember her
1: name. Becky Glen at Hearts at Home, back when you were in oh charge of Hearts gosh, at Home. My friend and Becky. yes, and you and I were doing, you know, t- speaking in workshops and stuff. I remember her telling me it wasn't in a workshop of hers, but I think personally we were talking. And she said, mm-hmm. you know, um every need is not necessarily your call, you know, so you you might be capable, but are you called? And that's, you know, such a good question to ask ourselves because we women have the curse of capability, right? We're capable of everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're capable, especially, you know, early on when I was a stay at home mom, not only did everyone think I was capable, but they thought I had all the time in the world. So I got asked to do so many things and I didn't stop and say, Hey, am I called to do this? I just, I'm like, Oh, am I capable of doing this? Sure, I'll say yes because I can't say no. And then, you know, we end up
0: inwardly resenting it and doing the task, but kind of begrudgingly. Yeah. Yep. Yep, absolutely, and that that has just helped me in so many ways. Um, just to go, I mean, I, I yeah, I I physically could do this. I have the skills to do it. I might even have what I what appears as the time to do it. And but at the same time, I have to go because of all those accumulated yeses. I have to be careful about those. And so that really is helpful to go. You know, to ask myself that question. But I'm so glad you told me about where that came from because I couldn't yeah. remember. Yeah, so I
1: I I had written it down in a notebook or something. So I made sure when I when I wrote the book I said something about, you know, my friend Becky once told me because I've never forgotten that. It's been so freeing because, yes. you know, I don't know if I just wrongly used to think, well if an opportunity came my way, it must be God, you know, it must be mm. I'm supposed to say yes, but that's not always true. I mean, even think about Jesus like He went to the cross. Did he? Had he healed everybody? Right. No, he hadn't. You know, he he didn't heal every single person he came in contact with. He didn't talk to every single. He's a great example if you want a real study in how not to be a people pleaser. To just go read through the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus. He had family. He had 12 close friends. He had three really, really close friends. He had crowds that he was ministered to. He knew when to pour in, but he knew when to pull back and go be alone. He didn't just people please, you know, day after day after day. He knew when he needed to be with many, few, or nobody at
0: all. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and, you know, to, you, to see him set boundaries to, to know he went to bed at night and not everyone was healed, yes. you know, that he, I mean, there's just, there's boundaries. And so just to understand uh, that, yeah, I taught, I really explored that in my Real Mom's Real Jesus book, because I, I went through the gospel of Matthew in that book and just looked at the life of Christ and what can we learn? And one of the chapters is Jesus set boundaries and, that was just so it's so very important. So here's my question though because I think the hardest part about the people pleasing and and learning to not be a people pleaser is the disappointing other people. And so so can we can we dig into that just a little bit more Karen because we've talked about it, we've mentioned it, but it's very painful for someone who has spent all of their life Pleasing others, and most of us who have become people pleasers, we started it in childhood. In some way, um, you know, and you mentioned that, like you used to want to please your teachers, and you know, kids on the playground, and all of that. Sometimes that came from our home of origin, um, and so you know, we don't even realize that. But sometimes people pleasing can have happened because um, we learned to people please. Because we didn't want to, um, we didn't want uh, maybe a parent that was overreactive. We didn't want them to blow up. Um, Mark and I deal with that a lot in our marriage coaching that we do is when we identify um, the, the pleasing that's going on in a marriage and we dig back, where did that come from? You know, oftentimes we can identify, well, I didn't want my dad to scream at me. I didn't want to get hit. My sibling um, was always on my case. And so I just learned to do whatever they wanted me to do so that I didn't have to endure that. So a lot of us have this, it's real deep, And so we really don't want to disappoint people, but the reality is to get out of the people pleasing prison, we have to have something to do with that feeling of I'm letting other people down. What is that?
1: Well, you know, um, in the book, I have these seven, I call it stop it statements. They're like little one sentence sermons that I preached to myself that I learned through this whole journey. And one of the seven stop it it statements that I preached to myself is this, that everyone's happiness is not my assignment. We Mm. wrongly think it is. It's not my assignment to make everyone happy. It's God's job to bring them joy, but it's not my job to bring them temporary happiness by saying yes to what they want me to say or behaving in a way that they want me to behave, you know, and then when that's over, now the expectation is I'm going to keep doing it to keep making them happy, and their happiness is not my assignment. And you're right, some of us do it because, and I, I do it two different ways <laughs> because of my family of origin. I had my dad, who ended up at the end of his life being a wonderful Um, Christian, grandpa, father, everything. But he went through a time where he was a rageaholic, an alcoholic and was abusive. And I learned to please him because I didn't want to make him angry. You know, I didn't want him to stop his foot. I didn't want him to swing his fist. Yeah. But with my mom, she had so much sadness in her life because of what my father was doing with his drinking and his abuse. And he left her and she had two kids, no job, no car, and didn't even know how to drive. She had so much sadness that I thought her happiness was my assignment. And so I did I didn't worry about making her angry. She wasn't a violent person. I worried about not her stomping her foot, but her dropping her smile and being sad. Uh, so wow. I didn't want to make her sad. I didn't want to make my dad mad. So I just took this role in life that everyone's happiness is my assignment. And you know what, Jill? It's eg- exhausting. It's exhausting to live your life thinking everyone's happiness is your assignment. It's not. And so now even to the littlest things um, in my adult life, I was doing it like with the baking of the cookies. It's like, oh, it's going to make them unhappy if I say no. So I have to keep them happy. I have to say it. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tuck my truth in an envelope of kindness and say what I need to say. And if they're not happy about it, oh, well, that's Mm -hmm. not my assignment. It's not my assignment.
0: Mm, oh, that is really good. So really what you're talking about here, Karen, is you're talking about the fact that you have believed some lies. As a people pleaser, you've believed some lies all of your life. Um, the lie that their happiness is your assignment. And so really what you're doing now is you're breaking that lie. And you're changing your thinking.
1: Yes, exactly. And then the second part of that, you you explain that beautifully. You believe the lie and you behave this way. And then the second part of that is, and so by doing so, you have taught people how to treat you. You've taught them mm. in your life how to treat you. It's, it's a, a true statement. I'm trying to remember, I think it was Tony Gaskins Jr. was the person I first heard say that there's been different versions of it out there floating around, but it's that you teach people how to treat you by what you allow, you know, what you accept, what you don't accept. And so like to just illustrate this, Mm -hmm. let's just say if I were to say to you or any of your listeners, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks hundred bucks cash money right now. If you pick up your phone and you text someone, you know, will instantly respond to your text message. Will instantly text you back. Like I know who I would text. I'm looking at you cousin Jamie because he always instantly, instantly. He's like always has his phone and always will text. Well, you know what? He has taught me how to treat him. And so I know Mm -hmm. if I need something quick, I'm going to text him. And then other people I know, like sometimes they don't return my text for three or four days, but we teach people how to treat us. And then we're so mad that they're treating us that way. Like I look at that in my own life with this whole busting out of the prison of people pleasing. I was so frustrated with people you know, like, what? why do they just assume that I'm going to always do these cookies? Or why do they say I'm going to say yes to being in charge of that whole big thing at church or whatever? And again, my husband, man of very few words, he's like, well, you know, it's kind of your own fault. <laughs> like, just look mm-hmm. at your pattern of behavior. They expect that of you because that's how you always act. That's what yes. you always say. So you've trained them how to treat you by, by your yeses over the years. And on the other hand, I have some friends who are really great with boundaries who are very prayerful and careful what they say yes to. And they've taught other people how to treat them the opposite way. Like if someone's having a, Oh, I've got a crisis. I've got myself in a pickle, like not a major, like serious mm-hmm. life crisis, but Oh, right. I need rescuing. They're not going to call that person. Cause they know that person's going to say no. That person's mm-hmm. taught them they have boundaries. <laughs> you know, you can't just at the last minute expect them to put out your fire that you made. So we do need to really think about, I, I call it in the book, I'm um, sending out a, a spiritual syllabus. We send out a syllabus to others of how we will, be treated you know emotionally spiritually physically we we send out the syllabus and we need to make sure we're sending out the right one you know syllabus mm-hmm. you get at the beginning of a class in college or high school and it tells you what to expect mm-hmm. in the next semester right. and we need to tell people what to expect even the silliest things with text messages i've started because i always used to feel like oh my phone just beeped and buzzed and I got to see who it is. I got to answer them. And now it's like, I put it, I turned off those notifications. I put it on silent. And unless it's someone from work, because my text messages do pop up on my computer screen, unless it's someone from work during work hours, you're not going to hear back from me until after supper. Mm-hmm. So now I'm retraining people. Karen's not tethered to her phone 24 seven. If I text Karen, unless it's an emergency, she's not going to answer me. I might read it, but I'm not going to answer them until my workday's done, dinner's done, dishes are put away, and now I've got 20 minutes to sit and return text messages. So now people don't suddenly ask me in the middle of the day, hey, send me that link, I need it right now, because they know I'm not going to respond to them
0: until mm-hmm. after supper. So it's really cut down on limb amount of help me, help me text messages I get from people. Right. Well, and I love what you said there. We've trained them, but now we need to retrain them. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it may be that You need to um, even have an initial conversation with someone to say, I just want you to know I'm making some personal changes in my life and I'm not going to, you know, especially relationships that are closest to us. I'm not going to do this anymore. We were just, um, we were, we've got a couple that we're working with and he's like a super pleaser and his wife knows it. And so she manipulates She manipulates conversations to get what she wants, and he is going to please. And so, one of the things we were talking with him about the other day was that you know it's time to probably have a, a a a conversation with her to say, "Hey, I am resetting myself. I am recognizing that this has been unhealthy for me personally. It's been unhealthy for us, and I'm resetting myself so that she doesn't. She's not." caught off guard, like, you know, exactly what's going on. And then she's assigning a wrong meaning to it. He's telling her the meaning of this change in, in, uh, so I think sometimes we can have those conversations upfront with people, especially those closest to us. And then in other settings, we just start operating differently. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, I think- yeah,
1: yeah, and what I did with a few people that I did have to have conversations with was made sure that I was careful not to use language that sounded like I was blaming them for our bad pattern. I said, "I'm totally owning this. This is all my fault. Like I'm not upset with you for treating me that way because really I gave you permission. <laughs> I gave you permission. I taught you that you, you know, could just I don't know, even if it's as simple as um, you know, asking for something with a really tight turnaround like, "Hey, can you give this to me by tomorrow?" Yeah. Well, no, I really can't. But guess what? I probably did that for them seven times in the past and I turned it right around fast. And so I said, you know, this is my fault. I'm not upset with you. I'm upset with myself. But from now on, I, I'm going to need five days. If you mm-hmm. need this, you know, at work or whatever the situation mm-hmm. was, if you need X, Y, Z, I need five days. So if you only have four days, don't even ask me. But I'm not upset with you for asking me, you know, to turn it around in 24 to 48 hours in the past because I did that for you. And so I kind of gave you a wide open door and gave you permission. And I'm not doing that anymore. So I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at me.
0: Yep. Yep. That's, that's good. I love that. So, um, before we bring this to a close here, I, the holidays are right around the corner here. And man, people pleasing just gets really complicated during the holidays. And so, um, let's talk about that just a little bit. You know, the mother in law who you have to keep happy or the extended family or, you know, I said, you have to keep happy, but you think in your Mm -hmm. mind, you have to keep happy. You don't have to keep her happy because her happiness is not your assignment, right? That's right, that's right. (laughs) You got it. I'm a quick learner here. (laughs) But what, um, let's talk about navigating those kind of, uh, you know, we really, we've mentioned expectations, but boy, the holidays come with expectations. And so um, what would, wisdom do you have for us as we think about navigating the expectations of others as the holidays approach
1: yeah i think it's very important to have conversations early on so that you're not allowing things to get solidified in people's minds that aren't true for example when there's been a marriage in the family and now your adult child has another place they might be on christmas morning or yep. christmas eve or whatever don't just assume in your house You've always had all your babies home on Christmas morning, so you can drink hot cocoa and open their stockings. You know that might not work this year, Mm-mm. so don't just assume it. And this hasn't happened in my family. I have been so blessed with both of my kids, the uh, families they married into. One's a family we've known for 14 years. I told my daughter for years she should date this guy, and she's like, "No, he's my best friend. I can't do that." Well, now now they're married. And then <laughs> another one. My son met his his wife through my Instagram account. She's from Southern Georgia, and we didn't even know her for maybe seven months before they got married, but both families have been great at the holidays. But I know that's not the case with everybody. So Mm -hmm. these, these things get set in our mind and we think it's going to be like, it's always been Christmas morning. And now this adult child has a different family. And guess what? The person she married thinks that he's going to be home at his family Christmas morning. And so now there's a blow up. So I think you need to really head things
0: off at the pass and have conversations very early on about expectations. Well, and I agree. And one of the things that I just realized that you're just talking about, so we've been talking about being the people pleaser, all right? That's what we've been talking about on this whole episode. Here's a question to ask. Am I the one that expects to be pleased? okay, I would like, do we share a (laughs) brain?
1: The next thing I was going to say is, so have those conversations early on, because it might not just be that you're trying to please other people, but maybe you're the one who's the pusher, the powder, the, you know, guilt bomber in this situation. And you're kind of, maybe not through your words, but through your um, body language or through your, um, you know, just subtle ways you talk around things, you're saying that you expect that everyone's going to meet your needs and please you. Yes. And so you've got to be willing to change. Like I just had to say this conversation with my kids. I said, you guys, I love Christmas morning. It's like my favorite thing in the world. However, what I love the most about Christmas morning is that we're all together. So if based on the other families now in the mix here in Michigan and Georgia, we can't all be together Christmas morning. I'm not married to Christmas morning. Let's do it December 30th, as long as we can all be together. So you have to be willing to give as well. And yes. and to realize that, you know, what's the most important thing? Because sometimes I think we want these Norman Rockwell-like, you know, uh, experiences and nostalgia and pictures, and it has to be on the day. But I've had to learn, you know, it doesn't have to be. And then just pray for God to... Give you ideas to fill your time that you would have been with that person with something else. I'll give a quick example Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has completely fallen apart for us. We used to always go to my sister in law's house. Uh, She died of breast cancer seven years ago. Then we started having it here with all the grandparents. Well, they're all gone now. And so um, one year we decided, since this was when most of the grandparents were gone and my mom was going to be somewhere else, we went to our church and said to our person that does. Ministry with the foreign exchange students. Are there any foreign exchange students who won't have a place for Thanksgiving? And we hosted foreign exchange students for Thanksgiving instead. I love and it. it was fine. And mm-hmm. it was fine. You know, and this year we're going to North Carolina gonna make some new memories for for Thanksgiving, going down to my daughter and son in law's house. So we have to be willing to change and to ask ourselves, you know, what's the most important thing? And if it's people being together, it might not be able to be on that day because you got lots of people vying for the attention on that day. And it's hard to coordinate, especially if you have more than one child, you know, because you might say, okay, let's do every other Christmas. Well, what if that works for two of your three kids, but for the third one, that family, they're on a different rotation. They've been on for 10 years and now it doesn't fit, you know, so you Mm -hmm. got to hold it all loosely.
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So still on the holiday thing, when we do run into those people, uh, you called them uh, pushers, powders, and guilt bombers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Push, yeah, they they push, they pout, or they try to to guilt you into doing what you want. What are some some ways to maintain some healthy boundaries in that? Well, the one I'll mention that's worked the best for us, and this is with
1: a severe case. Like I'm not just talking about someone who. Maybe just you know, acts a little sad if they can't host the family Christmas. they really wanted their house it's been there forever, and they're gonna be a little sad. I'm talking about the severe cases like where somebody's very manipulative, yes, very combative, very controlling um you know, just has to have their way mm-hmm. and it ends up ruining everybody else's holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, we ugh, so hard, but we did this. this was even prior to this whole last four year journey that I've been on, but About 10 years ago, my husband and I determined with this one person who they were both a pusher and a guilt bomber. They weren't a powder, but they're very manipulative, combative and controlling that we decided when we were at their house for a holiday or they were at our house that we had this rule that if they started to behave in a way toward me, it was usually toward me or toward one of my children, you know, making backhanded comments and being critical and caustic that we were going to, if we were at their house, we were going to leave. We were Mm going to just say to the kids, Hey kids, grab your things. We are leaving so-and-so's house. Now we were going to make it clear to them that we were leaving the premises, but we were not leaving the relationship. We still loved them, but -hmm. we weren't going to tolerate this behavior, nor allow our kids to tolerate that behavior. And guess what, Jill. It only took one time. It and only it took one time. Again. Never happened again. We left one time. We had not been there more than seven minutes. I mean, it wasn't even 10 minutes. It was probably seven minutes when this relative started in on, on uh, one of my kids about something stupid. And we said, okay, kids. And they're like, but we just drove three hours. And we're like, we don't care. We'll find a zoo. We'll go do something. You know, But um, we just said we're leaving. And that wow. person never did it again. They never did it again. because so you retrained
0: me, them. You retrained yeah, them in that moment.
1: Had, yes, because we had taught them they could treat us bad. And we just sat, sat there and took it. We, we didn't take it any longer. But you need to be careful with boundaries because I've seen some keep people go overboard and be very uh, critical and unloving in their boundaries and almost mean. You know, you yes. got to be still keep your, you know, still keep your Jesus on and say, we love you. You know, we're leaving the premises, but we're not leaving the relationship. We love you, but we can't tolerate this. It's not good for us. And it's not good for you because it's allowing you to keep being that way. And as much as we want to stay with all the family members that just drove all this way to, we can't do it when you're acting like this. So we're leaving. And then guess what they were left with? They had to explain why we left after seven minutes. Mm. So I think that played into it as well. And it never happened again. Never happened again.
0: Wow, so such a good reminder. And bottom line, as we bring this to a close, I mean, we're we're called to be God pleasers, not people pleasers. Mm-hmm. um that really we're you know it's it's what's God's call on our life. and Uh, not what are other people calling us to do. Um, So as we just, you know, uh, bring things to a close here, um, any last uh, one word of, uh, you know, or wisdom that you want to share for those that know that they're people pleasers, they know that they struggle with this and, uh, but they're ready to break out of that prison. What would be just some uh, last words of encouragement?
1: It probably sounds very simplistic, but just that it gets easier. It really does. Mm -hmm. I had such a hard time that first summer when I was taking that season of necessary and no making those phone calls and backing out of things and saying no to new opportunities that were coming my way. I mean, I was like shaking in my boots. I was like Mm -hmm. physically like sick to my stomach because I was so trapped. But with each no, I said It got easier and easier. And then the other thing I would say is don't be a pendulum and go too far the other way and think that Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is that you never help, you never serve, you never say yes to anybody, you never pick up the phone. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is make sure you are living your life based on God's agenda for you and Mm -hmm. not the opinions and expectations of others. And when you're doing it based on God's agenda for you, there will be times that you please others because guess what? It pleases him. He's calling Mm -hmm. you to say yes to that. There will be times that you are serving and that you are helping because that's what we're called to do as Christians, but you'll be doing
0: it because he's calling the shots, not other people. Yes. Yes. So Karen's book is called when making others happy is making you miserable. You can find it wherever you like to buy your books. Uh, Karen, would you just close us in prayer, Um, just praying for those that are listening and want to break out of that prison themselves? Sure. I would love to.
1: Father, thank you so much for
0: this time that we've had together. Help us
1: to at each juncture, with each ask, with each opportunity to think what it is that you would want us to do, Lord, and you would want us to say and not be so trapped in wanting to make sure that the person doing the asking is happy and not upset and not sad. Lord, it's not our job to make everybody happy. It's your job to bring them joy. And it's our job to take our marching orders from you. So give us the confidence and the courage and the compassion as we deal with our relationships that we're going to have the remainder of our time on earth, but help us do it in a way that pleases
0: you. Mm -hmm. In Jesus name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so that you don't miss any future conversations. We also want you to know that we have three free eBooks for you. You can find them at jillsavage.org free. You can also find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.